Well, welcome to church, everyone. Great to be with you. We're going to turn to the, the Bible in a moment. Um, let me add my welcome to, to Andrews. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, it's just great to be together. And this is a football Sunday, but you've all managed to make it on time. Well done, you guys. Give yourself a round of applause. Really amazing. And welcome to those, there's a whole pile of people joining us on Facebook Live as well. Good to see you guys. Let's hear it for those guys joining us. Welcome to church. Okay, knock, knock. Come on, we're all going to do this. Knock, knock. Cash. Cashew. Are you some kind of nut or something? Now, that's what happens when you talk about cash in church. People think you're nuts. You can't talk about, there are certain things you just don't talk about in church. One of them is cash. You don't talk about money. However, the Bible talks often about money. In fact, in the Bible, here's some of the words the Bible uses. The word believe appears 272 times in the Bible. The word pray appears 371 times in the Bible. Love appears 714 times in the Bible. But give appears 2,162 times in the Bible. So it's a big theme in the Bible, but also it's a big deal in life. I was reading an article by Mental Health UK, and they said that one in six people who are facing money challenges also battle with suicidal thoughts. One in six people. They recorded that in the UK, four million people are at risk of mental health issues because of battles with finance. So the Bible talks often about money. And I, listen, I get it. The, the, some churches talk too much about money and with ulterior motives. In a reaction to that, I guess, some churches don't talk about it at all because they don't want to be seen as the church that talks about money. However, in a balanced way, and if you, you know if, you're, if this is your first time at church, you might be thinking, okay, you're talking about money. However, if you've been with us for a year or even a few months, you'll know that we don't often talk about this, but sometimes we do because the Bible does and because people need to hear some really important truths about money. So today I want to dig into some truths, and I believe, I really believe with all my heart that what I'm going to be sharing today actually is a revelation that will help you personally, will help us as a church and we'll unlock things potentially in our nation. I really believe that. So let me give you a bit of a recap. We've been on a series entitled Grasshoppers versus Giants. And in this series, we've been looking at uh, some of the giants we're facing as a church. And we're facing four giants. The first giant is we're facing a giant, a financial giant. You know, as a church, we've gone from one church, one location, to now one church in four locations. Our, we, we, we underwrote that that those steps we took uh, by a, a giving we took up in 2015 called 2020 Vision. People gave generously. Many of you are giving generously, including me and my wife and family. We're giving monthly into that, that funds. Now, that 2020 Vision Fund underwrites year one of a new location launching. By year two, the church's budget has to have grown enough to be able to handle the new size of church. The challenge we've got is this, that while the church budget has grown, it hasn't grown fast enough for the size of church we've become. We're one church, four locations just now, and our budget isn't big enough, even though it's been growing, even though it's an amazing budget and it shows the generosity of you people, it's not big enough for the size of church we've become, let alone 
for the size of church we are hoping to become in launching new locations. So we, we cannot take steps forward until we see a shift currently in our giving. And um, our giving needs to shift by 50%. That's an extra 28000 a month we need to see coming in. It's a huge amount, but that's what it's going to take for us to take the steps we believe God's calling us to take. Now, for those who are interested, we have a budget update meeting, finance update meeting on the 31st of January here in Gorgie. It'll be followed by a question and answer time for anyone. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, well, I'm not interested in that. That's fine. You don't need to come. But for those of you who have got questions or want to find out more about our budget or how money is spent or how we budget and how we make plans and how we, spend, how we allocate the funds, please come along. We'd be very happy to see you there and answer any questions you've got. So we have a giant of finance, giant of serving. We have a challenge in that, we, again, an army of people already serve in our church. But actually, there are so many areas of church life that currently are under-resourced in terms of people. Some of the kids' teams need extra people. We need some people in technical areas, some of the, uh, the homeless outreaches, some of the small groups. We need extra people serving in all the fronts, folks. So if you're not serving in the church, can I encourage you, don't just attend, but participate. We've also got a, a, a giant of Sunday attendance um, engagement. The challenge we've got, and it's, it's a challenge actually across the Western world, is that in the UK and across the Western world, people are attending church infrequently. So even if you're committed to following God's, it's quite common for people to kind of once a month come to church or twice a month come to church. And we're saying, come on, that's a giant. We need to nail that because we will not change our city and our region by once a month attenders. We, occasional attenders don't change a nation. God's calling us to be regular, moving as one in church. Now, I get you might have shift patterns. You can't come every Sunday. I understand that. But to the degree you can commit to coming every week on time, I encourage you, let's Let's kill that giant and let's overcome. Say amen if you agree. Okay. And small group attendance, giant of small group attendance. We don't just want to be a crowd gathering church. We want to be a church that mobilizes disciples. And we know the best way for discipleship to happen isn't just coming on a Sunday, but it's also engaging with a small group through the week where you study the Bible together and grow in your faith. So can I encourage you, if you're not in a small group, join one. It will change your life. It is an amazing discipleship journey. So they're the giants we're facing. And so let's come to the Bible now. Before we turn to the verse, let me give you the context of what's been happening. So the people of Israel, by the hand of God, were released from captivity in Egypt. They were 400 years, they were enslaved as slaves in Egypt. And you know the account where Moses, God uses them to set them free from their slavery. Then he takes them through a wilderness and heading for a promised land. They get to the edge of the lands, the very place that God wanted them to be, and at the edge of the lands, they chicken out. They see the giants that are in the lands. They see the obstacles that need to be overcome, and they say, we can't do it. And actually, an entire generation of people, they bottled it. They chickened out. They didn't believe that God could take them in to overcome their giants and take the lands. And as a result, an entire generation literally died in a wilderness, about a million and a half, two million, possibly even three million people of this generation died in the wilderness. It's crazy because they didn't believe God's. So after 40 years of wandering in a desert, they come again to the edge of the promised land, this time under the leadership of Joshua, who took over from Moses. 
And last week we looked at how they had a barrier in front of them. It was the River Jordan. And God said to them, you are to consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. So they committed themselves to God, and they, by a miracle, the Jordan stopped flowing. They went through the Jordan, and they crossed into the promised lands. So that's where we are now. We're in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. And this seems like a little coincidental moment, but actually it's got huge significance, not just for them, but also for your life and for us as a church. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. That's the 14th day of the month. The day after, that's the 15th, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the lands, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after, that's the 16th, and they ate this food when they ate, the, the day after they ate the food from the lands. There was no longer any manna for the, for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the Bible is relevant and it speaks to us. I pray just now that as we unpack these verses, you'd speak into every life. God, anyone who today is listening and who doesn't yet know you, most importantly, I pray they would come to know you. I pray for everyone here, God, today that a penny would drop, a revelation would alight in their heart. They would see something, maybe for the first time, and that it would change us, change our church, and actually change our city and beyond. In Jesus' name. Okay, point one. From miracle to miracle. Say from miracle to miracle. Say it with me. One, two, three. From miracle to miracle. You ever thought of the logistics of what it would take to care for, I don't know, two, three million people in a wilderness for 40 years? You ever imagine that? Imagine you're an event manager or a, a, a person with a catering budget, right? You imagine what would it take to care for that many people even for one day. Imagine catering for a few million people just for one day in a wilderness. It's quite incredible. And yet God, by a miracle, for 39 years and 11 months, provided every single day miraculously for the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely incredible. 39 years, God sustained them. And how did he do it? He did it with this thing called manna. Say manna. Manna was, it was, inc- it was miraculous food from heaven. It was like a bread type substance that was on the ground every morning and the Israelites gathered this and literally that sustains an entire generation, hundreds of thousands of people, a few million people for 39 years and 11, day, and 11 months. Absolutely incredible. It started on the 16th day of the second month of the first year of their exodus from Egypt. As soon as the food had run out that they took with them from Egypt, as soon as that happened, God started providing miraculously this manna. And it says in the verse, verse 12, the manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the lands. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. You know, on the 16th day, the manna stopped. Just like on the 16th day, 39 years and 11 months before, the manna started. Isn't it incredible? 
Now, that's just incredible provision from God. God provided for two, three million people in a wilderness for 39 years and 11 months, miraculously, every day. Do you know that God is able to provide for you no matter how big the scale of provision that's needed? Say amen if you agree. God is able. And we have incredible testimonies of God providing uh, healings, people being miraculously healed. We have testimonies of people being transformed and, and set free from addictions. We have testimonies of God providing work for people when they said there was no way, God made a way. We have people having opportunities that shouldn't have come their way and God made it possible. So we have testimonies. How, how many people have seen God do something miraculous for them, providing for them in some way, healing them in some way, hands up all over this place? God is a miracle working God. Let's hear it for the God who does miracles for us. Thank you, God, for every miracle, for every single miracle, for every testimony. Hudson Taylor, who was a famous missionary to China way back, he, he actually, he wasn't just a missionary, he, he mobilized many people to become missionaries in China. And they typically went with nothing. They went with no provision. They just trusted God. And here's what he said. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect to send three million missionaries to China. But if he did, he would be, have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. You imagine it, the Israelites left Egypt, they literally didn't know how the provision was going to come in. They, they stepped out thinking, okay, God's with us, but we don't know how this is going to go. They knew they had a long journey ahead. None of them knew how God was going to provide. But listen, the provision of God is only released when you step out on your vision. The provision of God is only released when you step out on the vision that God gave you. Now listen, God's will... God's bill. If you step out in a vision that you made up, he ain't going to pay for that. Like if someone orders a pizza and gets it delivered to my house and I didn't order it, I'm not paying for it, okay? If I order the pizza, I'll pay for it. But if someone orders it and does that kind of crazy thing where they deliver it to my house, I'll eat the pizza, but I will not pay for it, okay? You need to understand. So you step out in your own vision, he has no obligation to pay for you, right? But if it's God's, God makes provision for the vision, you step out, and the provision often only comes when you step out on the vision. It's only when you step out does that provision come. Isn't that amazing? When we started Destiny Church Edinburgh, we had no money, we had no people, and we had no buildings. All we had was a vision. And actually, that counts more than any money, any buildings, or any crowd of people. Having a vision from God, not a make-up one, but a vision from God, a call from God. God has ordered something. He will make sure that every person we need, every building we need, every resource that's needed will be provided. And you can be assured of exactly the same in your life. Step out on the vision that God's given you, and all the provision will follow. Say amen if you agree. So that's how God operates. You know, it's like the Paris-Dakar rally. When you, you know, I've done this several times. Okay? The Paris-Dakar rally, when you're on the Paris-Dakar, I'm told, and when you're on the Paris-Dakar rally, that you, you don't have all the provision for the entire rally at the start. At each stage, you get the provision of food and fuel and drink that you need for the next stage. It's the same with your calling. 
Now, God provided for the miraculous in a wilderness, but living from miracle to miracle was not God's plan for their lives. They shouldn't have spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness. That was never God's plan. God wanted them in the promised lands. Living from miracle to miracle is not God's plan for your life, for you. You know, at the end of the month, God, I don't have what it takes for the next month. You know, God is a faithful God. And as long as you need him to, he will come through for miracles in your life. Of course he will. But living from miracle to miracle is not God's ideal for your life. And living from miracle to miracle is not God's ideal for his church. God, we need help. And then God bails us out. He's always faithful. He does. But living from miracle to miracle, even though it's miraculous, isn't God's ideal. God's ideal was they moved into the promised land. And this is the next point. Blessed to be a blessing. Say that with me. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're blessed to be a blessing. Turn to your neighbor. You're blessed to be a blessing. This was God's intention. They just spent, listen, think about it. They just spent 40 years wandering in a desert. 40 years living every day on miraculous handouts from heaven. They were living, as it were, as unemployed people. They had no jobs. I mean, what do you do in a wilderness? They didn't have a job. They were living on heaven's welfare. Every day, God faithfully, and he loves doing it, he faithfully provided for his people. They didn't have a job, but they were about to start a profession. They had no profession, but they were about to start a profession. They were all going to become farmers. Now, they'd never farmed before. I mean, what do you farm in a wilderness? For 40 years, they'd wandered in a wilderness, and they didn't have a profession. They were unemployed, living on heaven's welfare, and they were about to go into lands and become farmers, even though they'd never farmed in their life. All right? However, they all had a theology of farming. Why? Because in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God gave them clear instructions of how they should farm, the principles they should apply when they're farming, what they should do with their crops, how they should treat the land. They were very, so that even though they'd never farmed in their life, they were going into a promised land with a theology of farming. Let me, let me give you some of the highlights of that theology. They, God gave them a principle of first fruits. He told them to tithe everything that came in through their farming. So even though they'd never farmed before, they knew that when God gives us land, here's how we're going to handle the land that God gives us. It says, let's give you a couple of examples, Deuteronomy 26, when you've entered the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall take some of the first fruits of all the produce of your soil, and then you shall go to the place that the Lord God will choose as a dwelling for his name, that was Jerusalem, and to the temple, and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today, this is, what, this is what your first fruit, by the way, it's not, just, it's not just the first, it was also 10%, it was the first tenth. And this is what your tithe is a declaration of. You're declaring today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that you swore to our ancestors to give us. You're saying, God, you've blessed me in this place. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that the Lord you have given to me. In other words, God, you've given to me, so I'm giving back to you. Of what you've given to me, I'm giving you the first, the 10%. Now, it came with a promise. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth 
and with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So everything they, they got in from the, from the wheat to the grapes to the olive crop, everything that they brought in, the first tenth was God's. So they, they, they weren't farmers, but they knew, God, when you give us land, that's how we're going to handle our land. Okay? And then they also had a principle of how do you deal with the poor and how do you care for immigrants? It says in Deuteronomy 24, when you're harvesting in your fields and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So just as with the tithing, if you, if you do the tithe, you bring the first to God, he'll bless your vats and your wine and your, and your, your, your resource. So also, if you prioritize the poor, God's going to bless your land. And when you beat the olives and you're from your trees, do not go over all the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. And when you harvest your grapes from your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And then in Leviticus 19, it says, when you reap the harvest from your land, do not reap to the very edges. In other words, just harvest the middle of your field, leave the edges. Uh, of your field and, and or gather the gleanings. In other words, if, if, if grain falls, don't pick it up, leave it. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. So we have this very clear principle. And also God spoke to them very clearly right through the Old Testament about how they were to bring offerings at the various festivals. They had to go up to the house of the Lord and bring offerings which were over and above the tithe and which was, which nothing, which was beyond what they did for the poor. So they had this, they were unemployed. They didn't have, they weren't farmers, but they were going to become farmers. And even though they didn't have a clue about farming, they had a clue about the theology of farming, and they knew exactly how God wanted to handle the resource even before they were given the resource. And God's way was this. They were to bring the first, the tithe. They were to give offerings to the, to the house of the Lord and they were to, in, in various festivals. And they were to also care for the poor and for the immigrants and for the widow and for the orphan. Isn't that amazing? And in all of it, God said, I'm going to bless you. It's like the guy who, who goes to, he goes to the, the, the airport and he's, he's got a bit of time before his flight comes. And so he thinks, you know, I fancy a coffee and some donuts. So he goes over to the barista, orders a coffee, and uh, gets a bag of donuts. <clears throat> and then he looks around the airport lounge, it's so busy, but there was one table with another guy sitting on it, but he figures, oh, well, there's a space seat, I'll go and pull up a seat beside that guy. So he sits down, puts his bags down, and then he sits, sips his coffee, then puts his hand into the bag and takes out a donut and munches away at his donut. As he does it, the guy across the table from him gets the bag, pulls the bag towards him, takes a donut out, smiles at the guy, nods, and munches into the donut. And the guy's sitting there thinking, he, 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 might, he can't be fully with it. I, mean, I, won't, I, won't just, I just won't say anything. He can't be fully with it. So he pulled the bag back across himself and took a donut out and has the second donut. The guy across the table reaches right across the table, puts his arm in the bag and pulls out a second donut, smiles and munches into the second donut. The guy's sitting there thinking, what is going on here? So anyway, there's one donut left. And the guy across the table, he puts his jacket on. Obviously, his flight's coming. So he puts his jacket on, reaches across, takes the last donut out the bag, breaks it in half, puts half back in, smiles, waves, eats the donut, and goes off to get his plane. And, you, and he, the guy's sitting there thinking, what on earth it just happens? And so he, he looks at watch and he realizes, oh, I, I need to go and get my plane now. So he reached down to get his bag, and there on top of his bag is his bag of donuts. Ah. <laughs> 
He thought the guy was stealing, but actually he was sharing, okay? And listen, God owns all the donuts. God owns all the donuts. You don't actually own anything. I don't own anything. We're just stewards. God owns all the donuts. But God, in his grace, chooses to give us a bag of 10 donuts. He knows we only need seven or eight to live on, but he gives us 10. Why? Because he wants us to give that first donut to the house of the Lord called the local church and invest in the local church so that the local church can be all that God's intended to be. Read the Bible. If the church does that, it's going to take the resource of the people for the church to do what God's called the church to do and be. Give the first donut to the church. Second donut. Well, you give an offering over and above. And, the, and, you, and you know what? Third donut. You share some with someone who needs a donut. Okay? And here's what will happen is you're going to think, man, can I, can I live on seven and a half or eight donuts? And the answer is this. You can't actually afford not to do this because what God will do is that seven and a half or eight donuts will feel like 11 or 12 donuts in terms of the impact you can accomplish in life. You'll suddenly realize, wait a minute, I've given so much away, but we're living in a blessed way that we couldn't have afforded to live in. That's been me and Angie's testimony for years. We have lived to give. We haven't lived for self. We're not doing anything. Our agenda in leading this church and doing what we're doing in life is to be a blessing beyond ourselves. And God has provided everything we need. And that's many of your testimony. You're not in this for yourself. You live once. You're here for God. You're here for the benefit of other people. And you do that with your finances as well. And every resource you need comes your way. It's incredible. It's incredible. See, wilderness living was living on just enough. Just enough. Every day they had just enough manna for themselves. But promised land living is God providing more than enough so that you could be a blessing. This is so important. Let me say it again. Wilderness living was living on just enough. Promised land living was so that you'd have more than enough so that you could be a blessing. My friend Ray Bevan, who's preached here a number of times, he tells an amazing story. When he was pastoring down in Wales, he was talking about some of the things I'm talking to you about, how God wanted to provide for us in an abundance. And someone at the end of his service came up to him and said, Pastor Ray, I totally disagree with what you're saying. And he said, as long as I have enough for me and my family, then I am content. Now, on the surface, that sounds so spiritual and so holy. But Ray Bevan turned to him and says, you are the most selfish man I've ever met. The guy looked shocked. And then Ray Bevan went on to say, listen, that would be fine if it was just about you and your family. But the world is bigger than just you and your family. So I get you're happy with just you and your family, but God doesn't want just to bless you, you and your family. He wants to bless through you and your family many people. And then Ray Bevan went on to say, because we believe in the principle of sowing and reaping, because we believe that God provides us with abundance, we've been able to, and he lists all the things that they've been able to do as a church, the poor they've been able to help, the investment locally in Newport, the way they've given money in Africa, the way that the resource that they've released because the people of God have not just had just enough for themselves. So folks, just enough is wilderness thinking. God has never promised just enough, never. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, he always promises more than enough. God says to Abraham, the one from whom the whole people of Israel were born in the first place, God said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, I will bless you. 
And then he goes on and says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was God's agenda for the people, the descendants of Abraham. Well, you say, well, who? that's not me. I'm not a Jew. Well, it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the palm promise. This promise, yes, it was meant to be fulfilled through the Jewish people, but through Jesus Christ, the covenant relationship with God has been made available to Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And we become the heirs of the promises, and we become, that's our agenda. We are blessed to be a blessing. Say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. You're not here for yourself. You're here to be a blessing. It's not just about you and your family. It's about bigger than you. You know, the lowest form of Christianity is being blessed. That's the lowest form of Christianity. The highest form of Christianity is that you would be a blessing. I love what the Apostle Paul takes his thinking and he applies it to employment. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, if anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Say amen. All right, you might be speaking to you today, right? So anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, <clears throat> but must work, doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with him who has need. Isn't that amazing? Paul doesn't just say, stop stealing, get a job. He says, stop stealing, get a job so that you may have something to share. In other words, you go from being a taker to being a giver. God's not saying work for a living. He's saying work for a giving. It's an entirely different ethos in life. Having enough for you is wilderness thinking. Believing God for provision over and above what you need is actually promised land thinking. I was chatting to a guy a few years ago called Jeff Letts. Jeff Letts is down in London. He's a businessman in London. And he, he understood these principles and he really felt God stirring him to use his finance to make a huge difference for the kingdom of God. So he went to his pastor and asked the pastor how long they had left on their church mortgage and what their monthly payments were. And he went away from that meeting and he said before God, God, with your help, in five years, I want to clear the church's mortgage. And Jeff Letts, God prospered him, God provided for him more than he needed. And then he was able, by God's grace, he cleared that church's mortgage in five years. And Jeff Letts said to me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said this, I wrote it down. God can get money to you, but can God get money through you? Did you know, we went on this tour of Edinburgh uh, in December, and this guy who, who knew the ch history of the church and how Edinburgh had played a significant role globally in terms of church. Did you know that in the 19th century, Edinburgh was the biggest funder of missions globally. Edinburgh, not just Scotland, Edinburgh. The believers, churches, believers, individuals in Edinburgh were the biggest funders of missions globally. That the church stood tall, it resourced people to go out, start churches, make a difference. Hence, all over the world. So, first Christian missionaries in Brazil, Scotland, from Scotland. In Korea, from Scotland. China was massively impacted from Scotland. Africa, from Scotland. Why? And not only Scotland, Edinburgh. Edinburgh was the biggest resourcer of missions globally. Man, that's what we want to be. And church, our vision as a church isn't just to do what we're doing. We don't just want to launch, you know, and we're not doing what we're doing for us either. 
But the four locations just now, God willing, a fifth later this year, a sixth next year, church online as well. And then actually in the years that follow, I'd love to go to about a dozen locations around our city, then add multiple services in each location. And I, I want to do that by God's grace. But also we want to start 100 churches beyond ourselves, 100 churches. God can do that. If people of God give a tithe and give offerings, we will be resourced to, so we can be a resourcing church. We've actually already done a lot. We give every, everything that comes into the church. We as a church give a tithe from everything that comes into the church. We give a tithe to Destiny Ministries, which is the apostolic fund from which we plant churches predominantly in Asia, in India, in various places where they cannot afford to do conferences or training. We provide that resource and training. In, in, we sent £70,000 from Edinburgh over the last couple of years to build an orphanage in India. I'm going to be there in three weeks' time. And uh, I'll, I'll be sending back some messages from there so you can keep watching that. And the building I'll be standing at, it's nearly finished, has been resourced largely from the giving from this church. It's amazing. Well done. We, we, we've also given beyond ourselves. To, so we, we gave recently to Destiny Church Newcastle, who just started a building fund. So we gave them money to start a building fund. Destiny Glasgow did a refurbishment of one of the buildings. We invested in that. The Redeemed Church in Craig and Tinney, our friends at the Redeemed, we gave them money because they were buying a building in Craig and Tinney. We want to invest there. Life Church in, in the in Newington area of, of Edinburgh, they've just started a building fund to do a refurbishment. We give them money. Why? Because we believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. We believe in that. Over the last few years, we've given to Fusion, the student ministry. We gave several thousand to Scripture Union Scotland, who serve the nation's youth so, so well with Soul Survivor and camps. We've given to Jam, which feeds kids in Africa. We believe, as a church, we give out from the church funds beyond. We want to be a resourcing church, a resource church who are a resourcing church. So, folks, miracle to miracle living was wilderness. When you moved into the promised lands, all of a sudden they were suddenly realizing it's not going to be every morning that there's the manna, it's we're going to have to work the lands. And we're going to do a job we've never done before farming, but as we're doing it, we're clear. The first tenth goes to God. Over and above that, we give offerings. And we make sure when we're doing our harvesting, we're leaving some for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, and for the immigrants. And so they had this theology, a clear understanding. And so they, they knew if we're going to survive, we're going to need more than this amount of donuts that we need to survive. We're going to need this amount of donuts because we want to do all these other things to enable other people not just to survive, but other people to thrive. So how do you do that? Well, it now comes to this principle of sowing and reaping. Say sowing and reaping. The New Testament takes the farming principles, which we see so clearly in the Old Testament, and it applies it directly to how we handle our finances and how the church handles finances and to generosity. There's many places I could have based this next bit, but very simply I want to base it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, we'll stop there for a moment. Bountifully. It sounds like it's talking about quantity, but actually it's talking about quality. This verse is very clear. Your giving unlocks God's resources into your life. That's clear. Now, if you have faith in God, you'll think, well, that's a no-brainer then. I'm going to step out and give. And if you give, 
the promises he will give back to you. But listen, it's not just the, quality, the quantity, it's the quality. The word bountifully is the Greek word from which we get the word eulogy. It means blessing. So when it says when you give bountifully, it, means, it literally means with blessing. So in other words, when you're giving, it's not just the amount, it's your heart. I want to give with blessing. God, I want to bless you. So here I give this finances. I want to bless the church. I want to bless the church. So I give this resource. I want to bless that person. So I give this resource. So it's a heart that says, I want to be a blessing. So that all of a sudden, this whole idea of, all right, well, we give, we get. Yes, I'm going to give to get. Man, that's so warped. Giving to get, even though when you give, you will get. Giving to get is consumerism and it's religion. Religion is doing something to get God to do something for you. We don't believe in that one moment. We believe in giving because God's great. And as you do that, it does unlock God's resource in your life. Of course it does. The Bible's clear in that. But we, for not for one moment do we give to get. That's consumerism and religion. And I hate it. We believe in grace. God lavishly gives to us, so we should lavishly give back to God. Give bountifully with blessing. I want to bless you, God. I want to bless this church. I want to bless individuals. Verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, not a tearful giver, but a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? You know, does God not love the whole world? Well, yeah, God does love the whole world, but so why would it say then that God loves a cheerful giver? Why, why point them out? Okay, let me, let me kind of illustrate it. The other, the other day there was chatting to my, friend, my, my son, my friend, who is also my friend, my, my son Michael, and he was talking about how at youth he had the opportunity at the, end, at the end of the youth to pray for people, and so there was some, there was some young folks, most of the, he, he leads a small group in the youth, and some of the young folks were there, and he spent a bit longer at the end of the session praying for the young people, and I didn't know my son prayed over people, I thought, that's really cool. My son's praying over people. I thought, I love that. Now, it's not that I love him more now than I did before. It's just that he's doing something that is his dad's. That's one of my values. I love praying blessing in people. My son's praying blessing in people. That's really cool. So I think when it says God loves a cheerful giver, he's saying, I love that. God's saying that because that's just like me. I love giving and you're loving giving too. That's just like my son. That's just like my daughter. That's like father, like son. It's just like me. I think that's why God says that. And then it goes on and it says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may, have an ab- may abound in every good work. Isn't that amazing? God is able to make all grace. So it's in the context of provision. God's able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency at all times in every situation will abound in every good work. The New American Standard says it this way, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Imagine you're faced with a good deed to do, and all of a sudden, I already have the abundance I need for this good deed. That's exactly, in fact, that's exactly how God is, isn't it? That's exactly how God is, and God wants you to operate like his kids in the same way that you will never lack a resource for a need that you face because that's exactly how God is. God never lacks a resource for a need that he faces and he wants his kids and his church to be exactly the same. Isn't that amazing? You're launching locations. 
no problem. The resource is already there. Giving to the poor, planting churches, refurbishing buildings, taking grounds for the glory of God in our city. Then he goes on and says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase your harvest of righteousness. It's interesting, he does two things. He gives you bread for foods. That's the seven or eight donuts. That's what you live on. That's so you, you have something for, you're blessed. But then he gives you seed for sowing. And the danger is this. I think some people eat all 10 donuts, right? I think people, oh, they're all donuts. They're all mine. No, no. You have to understand, some of it's for you, some of it's for giving. It's like an apple. Any weirdos here eat the entire apple and throw the little bit of wood away? Okay, there's a few weirdos, few weirdos. You're weird, right? You're weird. You don't do that. You're going to get weird things growing. Anyway, you don't eat the whole apple. The bit on the outside's for consuming. What's the bit on the inside for? Planting. You plant it, an apple tree grows. You're going to get more apples. So don't eat the whole thing and throw the bit of wood away, you weirdo, okay? You get weird things growing from your toilet and all this, right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So what you do is you, you eat the bit on the outside, that's for you. Same with your finances. There's a bit for you and there's a bit for sowing. And famine happens when people eat their seed. Personal famine happens when you eat your seed. Famine in churches and in nations happen when people eat the seed that was actually meant for sowing. Think longer term. Restrict yourself to the seven or eight donuts and give the rest. And actually, you will all of a sudden find you don't need to restrict yourself because God's blessing has gone beyond what you could have done for yourself. How does God provide for his church? He who gives seeds to the sower, he provides through his people. How does God provide for church planting all over this world? For the hundred churches, I believe God's going to use us to plant as a congregation. How's God going to do it? He's going to give seeds to the sower. Wouldn't it be great every time we planted a church, we could send them with 10,000 pounds just as a startup fund? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great every year? 100 churches, 10,000 each church. What's that? A million pounds? Imagine we had a million pound fund every year for the 100 churches we start. And every year they, they get a gift from Destiny Edinburgh. Here's your 10,000 pounds this year. So they, it just gives them a head start. No, they should graft like we had to. And they got to fight for it like you know, we had to fight for it. No, you're, that's why you're so grumpy. Don't be like that. Just, just, just bless the kids and let them go further than you ever could have. All right? Wouldn't it be great if we could be resourced, so well resourced, that we could just resource and resource and resource? God provides through his people. And then it goes on and ends with this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It says, in the new, it says that verse in the new, in, new international version, you'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Wouldn't it be great to be so resourced that you could be generous on every occasion? That's exactly God's plan for you. Say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Jesus said exactly the same. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of measure uh, that you use, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. But listen, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Well, God wants you to live lavish lifestyles. You know, God. Listen, God has no problem with you having things. God has a problem with things having you. Big problem with that. Big problem with that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Having money actually can make a big difference but the love of money can devastate people's lives. Do not pursue money. Pursue God. Make money your slave and make God your lover. 
to turn to God and live for him and be radically generous. And in doing that, I promise you, well, God promises you actually, provision and prosperity in the right sense will come your way. So you will be blessed. Oh, yes, you will be. You will have things and situations and opportunities that you could never have created for yourself. But beyond that, you get to be like your heavenly father and give generous resource in every situation. By the way, the apostle Paul who said, I've learned to be content in every situation. The apostle Paul who said that, it wasn't because he was a pauper. He, if you read the book of Acts, he earned more money than he needed. He was a tent maker. He earned enough resource for himself and for his entire traveling team. That's what he did. He earned the resource for his entire ministry team so they could do ministry. So I know he said he was content, and he was. But that doesn't mean he had nothing. He, he knew what it was to be blessed in order to be a blessing. So church, we're asking you to respond, and I'm going to be, me and my family, we're going to be responding, and I'm encouraging all the families in the church and individuals to respond. On your seats, there's a response slip. Please take that with you today. Response day will be on the 17th of February. That's the last day of this series. And we're asking actually to, you to do something that is, in one sense, it's nothing new. It's, it's what we should all be doing anyway. So for some of you, it actually might be you're already doing these responses. So you're saying, Thank God I'm already doing these things. Praise God. But for some of you, it'll be you're going to modify your response. So we're asking you to invest, involve, and invite. Invest. Give your tithes, offerings, and, um, and, and one-offs as well. So if you're not a tither, I encourage you, start giving a tithe. We'll talk about that more next week. If you don't give offerings over and above your tithe, then come on, let's go for it. And why not consider one-offs? We wanted not just to float this church. We want to take ground taken. For example, we want to refurbish this building. We want to take our south location out of a rented facility into a leased facility. We've already got one we're looking at and negotiating a deal on, but we need resource. So maybe some one-offs will help us take some of those big steps. Involve. If you're not serving, please serve in teams. We're needing an army of people on PA and media and, and worship teams and kids teams and youth teams in catering, stewarding. We're needing you to be involved. If you're a musician, we need to hear about you. Get involved. If, you're, if, you, if you've got a passion for kids, or even if you don't, just because you believe it's really important, just put your heart behind it and let's serve. Let's do this together. We can't take ground unless we're already covering the bases in our existing grounds. Get involved in a small group if you're not already. Come every week on Sundays. Let's not be the occasional worshipers. We will not change our city as occasional worshipers. Let's be regular, weekly, and committed to church. And invite, invite your friends, invite your family. Let's all be on board and let's see this church swell in numbers. Responds. You know the biggest reason for giving? The biggest reason above every reason. Why does God want us to be generous? Well, the answer is because God's generous. Because God's a giver. Because God's a blesser. God gave the most. God gave himself. You know, Jesus described him giving of himself on the cross as a seed being sown. It says in John chapter, four, chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus describing his death and resurrection in the terms of sowing and reaping. He literally, God gave himself. 
so that millions today all over this world could know and worship God and be forgiven for their sins, be heading for heaven, not hell, and have a whole new life. And many of you are in this room today, watching online, across our other locations. We're here together because Jesus died for us. God gave everything to rescue us from our death, from our sin. God is so generous and so loving. And I love that. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And God loves us, and God gave everything for us. There's a story of a a rice farmer, and it was a very hot summer's day, and he was working up in his farm, up in the hillside, overlooking the coastal area. And as he was up there working away, he felt a tremor on the earth. And as he looked out to sea, he saw it was as if almost the ocean was retracting from the coastline like, like an animal ready to pounce. And he knew what was coming. He knew there was an earthquake, and he knew that the next step would be a tidal wave. And as he looked down into the valley, he saw many of his fellow villagers working in the valley, and he knew that they would have no chance. And he also knew that by the time he got down there, it would be too late to warn them. So he suddenly realized what he needed to do. His own barns, which were so dry from the dry season they'd been through, full of rice, he took a torch and he set fire to his own barns. The barns went up in flames. The gong started, the fire gong started, and all the people in the valley rushed up to the hillsides thinking they were rescuing the man's property, only to realize when they got there, as they looked back, the entire area had been flooded by the, by the tsunami. And they realized suddenly that he had saved them. And also they at the same time realized how much it cost him to save them. They put a motto, uh, a, a, a memorial in memory of this farmer. And on it, it reads, he gave us all he had and he gave gladly. And God's like that. God gave us all he had and he gave it gladly. And he still gives and he still gives and he still gives. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God. Thank you, God, that you're the ultimate giver. And God, you love us and you give to us continually. God, you're a giver and you're a God who does miracles. And we have so many stories of you miraculously giving and providing and coming through for us. God, we say thank you to you. And today, God, we want to be like you. We want to be generous givers. We want to be those who lavishly give back to God just as you've given to us. Thank you, God, for being the giver. And thank you for inspiring in us a faith and a passion to give. Thank you, Lord. Why not just take a moment in his presence just to make your own response to God? Maybe today you're here as you're a believer and you're saying, I want to be more generous. I don't just want to live from miracle to miracle. I want to now live blessed to be a blessing. Why not just make a decision in God's presence that you're going to be that? that you're going to live that way. Make a big decision. Just settle the issue once and for all. Step out and trust him that he's going to provide every need you've got as you step out to commit to being a giver. While people are praying that prayer, I'm aware that maybe, maybe there's a few of you here today and actually the biggest thing in your life isn't anything to do with money. It's actually to do with your relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you don't yet know God. You know, let me just make this really clear to you. I'm so pleased you're here today. And and listen, we don't always talk about money because actually it's not the most important thing. But the most important thing is that you know God. And actually, even if you never gave a penny to this church, I would love 
to introduce you to God. There are many churches you can be involved with. You'd be welcome to join this church or any church. But beyond that, the big question is this. Do you know God? God loves you and God gave himself for you. Today, why not you make your response to him? So just while everyone's eyes are closed and everyone's praying, if you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I want to accept Jesus. Then just pray this prayer with me one line at a time under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for giving so much for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and rising again. Thank you for loving me. Today, I put my trust in you. I commit my life to you. I put my faith in you, Jesus. Cleanse me from all my sin. Give me a new start today, I pray. I believe you're alive, risen from the dead. Today, be Lord of my life. Take first place in my life and heart. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me today as your child. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, wherever you are in this auditorium, and you're saying, Peter, today I made that decision. I'd love to pray for you. Just while everyone else is praying, I'd love to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, if you prayed that prayer, could you just simply raise your hand quickly, nice and high, and then put it down again. Put it up nice and high so I can see it, and then put it down again. Thank you. Is there anyone else? That's great. Is there anyone else? God, thank you so much for this, dear, dear person. And your presence has made a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe there's others here as well. In your presence, they just prayed that prayer and they committed themselves to you. Thank you right now. You've heard their prayer. And I thank you, accept them right now. I pray let him know your love, know your acceptance. Let him know, Jesus Christ, that you've forgiven his sins and he's bound for heaven. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.